Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for everything that, that you're doing in us and with us and through us. And, and, and it's for times of this, especially in our, in our nation now. We, we pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for those that are being held against their will. We, we pray for our leadership. We pray for those right now that we, we seek not only peace, but we seek the one that only can bring peace, and that is Christ our Lord. And, and so we pray that you'll, you'll bless us as we continue to sow seeds of the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. Thank you for this offering and their generosity in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said amen and amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning, huh? Thank you for your giving. All right, you can be seated. Children's Church Department, thank you very much. If you're new here for the first time, thank you for being here. The way this goes, I speak about seven minutes and we go home and that's about the way it is. Maybe not. I haven't done this in about three weeks, so I may be out of practice, so just bear with me. In three weeks, we talked about, remember the cloud? We took over an hour to explain the cloud. And matter of fact, we found that in Numbers 15, number 9, 15 through 23, this is what he said. It doesn't matter if the cloud stays a day. It doesn't matter if the cloud stays a week. It doesn't matter if the cloud stays a month. It doesn't matter if the cloud stays a year. If the cloud doesn't move, you don't move. But if the cloud moves, you moves. Now, I forgot to tell you because I forgot to tell you a lot of things, but, but they had, when God said it's time to go, they blew the trumpets and they had 72 hours to pack up and leave. How many days is 72 hours? Ooh, let that sink in. Three days. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And that's why it says, let God arise and his enemies shall be scattered. When he come out of that grave in three days, I want you to know God has arisen and his enemies are now being scattered. Amen. See, everything. So, so today we're going to talk about why even study the Old Testament. So somebody, after I kind of go through all that explanation about the cloud and the, the cloud represents the leadership of God, the spirit of God. It is, it, is, it is light at night. It is warmth at night. It is light at day because it said that their enemies didn't have this privilege. There's some people in this church house that are not walking in the light of God. They're just stumbling over the furniture. And I understand. I understand. You're just stumbling over the things of God. But I want you to know, if you will just surrender to God and open up your eyes and let God kind of do what he needs to do in your life, you'll find out that the Christian journey is a very easy and a very delightful journey and pathway. So why even study the Old Testament types, shadows, and symbols? Why even study them? Today's society, there's a lot of churches that really the most emphasis is only in the New Testament. And I understand that. But did you know in Ruth chapter 2, verse 16, that in the King James, it says, Boaz tells them, give her the handful of purposes. Ruth 2, 16. It's exactly what it says. Boaz commanded them. Now, the purposes represented the grain. But Boaz said, give the woman the handful of purposes. It is seed to the sower. The Old Testament is, is, is full of seeds of purpose that will be beneficial to you in my life. 
Don't ever discard the Old Testament. Do I know a lot about the New Testament? I do. Do I know a little bit of Greek? I do. Do I know a lot, a little bit about something? But I know a lot about the Old Testament. A lot. I know a lot about symbols, shadows, types. Because if you don't know much about the Old Testament, it's like walking into a movie theater halfway into the middle of the picture show and you say, what's going on? I don't even understand who that guy is. And so you're talking to somebody and they're trying to explain to you and catch you up and everybody's going, be quiet, you should have got here on time. So this morning that we're going we're to talk about a couple of things that if you don't know much about the Old Testament, you should. You should. Because there's only one book. It's just divided in two parts, but there's only one book. And it's the testament of God. And so what happens is that the reason why we study or I study Old Testament shadows and types and figures is because there's reasons. And I've listed to you by five. Number one, when the New Testament writers wrote their books, they continually appealed to the law and the prophets of the prophets to interpret what God was doing at their present time. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter got fired up. He took his foot out of his mouth for the first time and he started preaching. And what did he preach? He only preached what was written in the Old Testament. He said, he said, we're not drunk with wine, as you suppose, but this is that. That was prophesied by Joel in the last days that God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your, oh, and your experience will dream dreams and young men shall see visions. If you will pick up the book of Acts and don't get hung up on, on, on the giftings of it and read everything that Peter is saying, he is referring and he, he is appealing to Old Testament writings and prophets and prophecies. Why, why does he do that? Because he's validating what God promised in the Old Testament to will appeal to the, their present time. God's not changing his mind, ladies and gentlemen. It may be new to you right now, but I'm telling you, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new sin. There's no new prophecy. Nothing is new. It, just because you haven't read it yet doesn't mean that it's new. You've heard me say this. Isaiah said that the earth sits below the circle of the sun. That's how, that's how Columbus knew that the earth was round. He read the Bible. And some of you say, does it say in the Bible that, that, the, the, that the earth is a circle? Absolutely. So the sun sits upon the circle of the earth. It's amazing. So it, it would behoove us to read the scriptures every once in a while instead of guessing. So I, I, I love to read the Old Testament because what it really does, it appeals to our present time today. Now, I know right now you're expecting some type of prophetic message, what's going over over God's in Israel. I'm not going to do that because I do not play the guessing game with anything. I will tell you they've been fighting for a long time. They've been at war since they were brothers, and there's going to continue to be war. But one day when Jesus shall come, and he'll come the second time, and he'll set things straight. Until then, that we're going to continue to declare the good news of Christ. Number two, because the Old Testament says this. This is found in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scriptures, say the word all. Not just the ones you know. 
not just the ones you like. I combat anybody in the church that only quotes has scriptures. All scripture is given by God, by the inspiration of God. That's called uh, pneumotheos. It means God breathing out. All scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction and instruction and righteousness. And we don't, and most people in church don't even want to talk about that. Reproof and correction, we don't want to hear that, but it's in the Bible. But all scripture, including the Old Testament, is the inspiration of God breathing. Pneumotheos. Theos is God and pneumos is breath. It's God breathing out. So the reason why that I, I love to talk about the Old Testament is because God is breathing in the Old Testament and it can be applicable to, for today. Number three, Romans chapter number five, verse 15. Romans chapter 15, verse four. Whatsoever things are written aforetime in the Old Testament were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scripture, we might have hope. Everything that was written in the Old Testament is for us today. There's not one thing that you can go through that is not found in Scripture. If you want to write it down, find me after church. Whether it be betrayal, divorce, miscarriage of justice, whatever you want to find, there's, there's nothing. The Bible said that Jesus, our high priest, he was tempted in all points like us. So there's not one thing that we go through today, not one thing that we go through, because here's the deal. Your enemy will tell you at night, well, nobody knows what you're going through. They've never seen a disease like yours. Nobody's ever experienced the pain you go through. That's a lie. First of all, he says it, it's a lie. Second of all, if you believe that, then you get the idea, well, I'm, I am alone and nobody knows what I feel. I want you to know Jesus felt everything that we felt and he dealt with it on the cross, nailing our sins and our ordinances to the cross. And because of that, that he freed us from all the, the death of sin and curses. So there's nothing, there's nothing that we can face that's not new that someone through the scripture hasn't experienced. All you got to do is just look it up. Go find it. Number four, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says, Now all these things happen to them for examples or types that they are written for our admonishment, from whom the ends of the world are come. He said, everything that was written in the Old Testament, who says this? Paul. He, who's he speaking to? Smart Jews. He said, all you got to do is read the scriptures. Everything that happened to these people happened for our benefit and our example. Because we would feel like that, that what we're going through is nothing new, that God doesn't have an answer. God has an answer before your problem even occurs. And number five, because it says this, Jesus says of himself that in the volume of the book, these things are written of me. Everything in the Old Testament is written about Jesus He's the cloud by day and the fire by night. He is the rock that produces water in a weary land. He's our refuge. He's our shelter in the time of storm. Everything types and shadows. He's the first Passover. He's the blood of redemption. All these things from Genesis to Revelation, all these things are connected together with a scarlet thread and all of them connects the life and the ministry of Christ 
before, now, and even to the times in our future. Everything is connected. All scripture, all prophecy, everything is all connected together. That's why the Old Testament is so important for you to learn. So here is the picture this morning. Here's the picture of God's desire for us, his children today. So here's the end of it. It's found in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3, and it says this. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God desires to dwell with us, his people. If you're, if you're born again this morning, God is not mad at you. The anger of sin has been removed from your life. Now then, God's in the business of correcting us and, and helping us and leading. But here's the bottom line. God wants, you cannot love someone and not want to dwell with them. Jesus said, when do you say that you love God, but yet your heart's far away? How can you have a marriage and you say, I love her, but I don't want to live with her? My wife asks that all the time. I understand. God, for his children, wants to dwell with you. He's giving you the end of the story. He's giving you the end of the book. He said, the day will come that those that I have called and those that I have summoned through my son Jesus and those that my spirit has, has, has called and, 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 and drawn them to me through Christ, that the end gate of, of everything was to dwell with them throughout eternity. And I will be their God and they will be my people and we will inhabit eternity together. That's what God desires for us now. Right now. So God's dwelling can be found in three areas today. The end of this story is that we will dwell with God forever and ever and ever. I don't know about you. I am. I've been saved by his grace. I've been called by his spirit. I didn't decide to do anything. God's election and God's predestination aforetime assigned me to hear his voice and respond to his call. And because of that, I have responded to his divine will and I am his son. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Romans 8 says, who can and what things can separate us? Nothing. Nothing. So in that, I have responsibilities. And because I'm a son of God, I'm called to walk circumspectly. And circumspectly is a Greek word called acrobos. He said, walk circumspectly as believers. Acrobos is where we get a word for an acrobat on a tightrope. He's telling you, if you're sons and daughters of God, walk circumspectly. It means act like you're 50 foot in the air on a top rope and you don't have time to pay any attention to the jokers and the hecklers on the side of the road. Leave me alone. I ain't got time to talk to you. We're not talking about flat on a sidewalk, you know, like a slug or a drunk. I mean, we're talking about we're 50 foot in the air here and I ain't got time to joke around. I ain't got time to take pictures. I ain't got time for photo shoot. I'm, 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 I'm. I'm walking circumspectly because it's very important. I don't want to fall. We're not, we, we are called to be, we're called to be carefree, but not careless. 
So we have a responsibility. And I'll tell you, anybody goes to church, if, if you get careless, I'll deal with you. Because we're trying to set an example for the other people behind us. And so in the nicest way that, that God's, in the end of this thing, that God says, here's the promise. My people will dwell with me and I'm going to dwell with them. They will be my people and I will be my, their God and we will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. That's where I'm headed. But unfortunately, I'm stuck right here for a little bit. So here's the good news. God dwells in three areas of man today. Number one, God dwells with man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It's God is present with man. Remember, God walked in the garden with him. Okay? God can dwell with man. And he did. It, it means his presence are there. He's present with man. Number two, then God chose to walk among men. St. John 1 and 14, this refers to now Jesus. Now God is participating with mankind. Remember, in the beginning was the word and the word dwelt among us and the word became flesh. It's all God. God just transformed himself into a fleshly body. And now Jesus just wasn't with mankind. Now he's participating with mankind. Now, if you don't know this, when I talk about this, the reason why this is so important about, about dwelling is because the tabernacle in the New Testament Greek word means to dwell, if you don't know that. In the Old Testament, it means to, when a city is under attack, the word dwell means that, that the occupants are not leaving the city. It's an Old Testament word in the time, word in the time of war that when a city is under siege, they are dwelling there. It means that we're not leaving the city. We're staying put. God will not leave you, especially when you're going through something. When you get to the New Testament, the word dwell, it, it, is, it is a word for hupoikos. It means the superintendent of the building and the superintendent of the building lives on the bottom floor by the front door. Really? And he says, he said, but, but the word of God may dwell in you, that the spirit of God may dwell in you, that the, the spirit of Christ may dwell in you. The word hoikos, it means this, that, that these, these, the word and the spirit of Jesus and he himself is like the door to the building of God. And you cannot, you cannot enter the building unless you go through the door of the word of God, the spirit of God and the person of God. He's a protector of what comes into the house. So the word dwell, it means to occupy something. And God is telling you right off that I'm, I'll never leave you. Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you. He's not telling you that he'll keep us exempt from certain things. He just said that even though you go through these things, I will never leave you. I found that to be true. I found that to be God close to my heart when I, when I absolutely are going through some things. And just the promise to know that he will never turn his back on us. So if you didn't know this, that in Exodus 19 and Numbers 1, he tells you it took nine months to build the tabernacle. 
And when the tabernacle, we found out three weeks ago, when the tabernacle was built, as soon as it was built, according to the words of God to Moses, as soon as it was built, what happened? We found out last week, God moved in. Remember? He said 17 times, according to the word of, of Moses, God spoke to Moses. And as soon as it took nine months to build the tabernacle, and as soon as the tabernacle was built, what did God do? He moved in. It took nine months to build the true tabernacle in the womb of Mary. And when the true tabernacle of nine months, which was Jesus incarnated into the flesh, when the true tabernacle was built, he is the true tabernacle, Peter says in his writings. That in that nine month, when he was fully, completely finished, that he was presented to the earth. And guess what? The first thing they called him, Emmanuel, God with us. He was as much God as the manger as he was the empty tomb. And for anybody that believes that he wasn't God in, in the cradle, you don't understand anything about the old You need to get born again. So the true tabernacle where God dwells was that he now is participating with mankind. Jesus walked among us. Jesus, And not only did he walk among, among us, but it was beyond what God did with Adam. God was with Adam. Now Jesus is among and participating with mankind. Matter of fact, the third one is called, now then, God is within mankind. There are degrees and steps that, that God is with you. God is participating with you. But the third one, about the dwelling of God is that God has moved in. God wants in. Has anybody ever been sick and you went to the pharmacy, you went to the doctor and paid too much money and you went to the pharmacy and you paid too much money and you got it home and you set it on the countertop and you didn't do anything with it. How, how good was that for you? You're looking at me like I'm, I'm kidding you. The reason why you're still spiritually sick, you never got it in you. We become Bible toters and not Bible quoters. It's amazing that the Bible is made by genuine bull hide on the outside and onion leaves on the inside, but yet the bull hide wears out faster than the onion leaf papers. Wonder why that is. We become Bible toters more than quoters. My Bibles, they look like a bunch of hoarders moved in. I got pages, I, I got pages all tore up. I got, page, I got pages of Mark stuck over in Revelations because I tear them out and stick them somewhere. What happens is not only does God want to dwell with you, not only does God want to dwell among you and participate, that God wants to move in. He wants to possess you. Now pay attention. Listen to me. I am a man possessed by the Spirit. I'm possessed by the Spirit. John chapter number 20, 22, the the eighth day after the resurrection, 
it was on that eighth day, the second Sunday, that Jesus goes to the upper room. Now then, 11 of them are there. The first Sunday, 10 of them was there. Judas is gone and Thomas was gone. Now then, Thomas is back. And watch this. And when he said this, that he breathed, emphaseo, where we get a word for emphysema, the opposite of it, it means lungs to be filled, emphaseo on them and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. It's the same word only used once in the entire Bible and it was found in Genesis chapter 2 that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and Adam became a what? Living soul. It's possible to have a man made of flesh and it's possible to have a man with all the features but for that man to be unable to move and have motion in life. It takes the breath of God and God made him and touched him and formed him. And he said, he looks good. And I guarantee you that he's a spitting image of me. But one thing about it, unless I get in him, he will be dead. Timothy talks about a girl in the church and Timothy five says this, she's dead while she lives. She's sitting among you. She's dead while she lives. Here's the deal. You could be sitting here. You'd be going through the motions. You, you can try to endure me doing what I do every Sunday morning, but I will tell you, here's the deal. God wants to move in. And he breathed on them, emphasize. And this is the first time that we get this word since the Old Testament. And here's the idea. This is when these men became born again. It's not Acts 2. It's here. And God reached down and he said, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive my Father. And he, inspiration, pneumotheos, he breathed into these men life. See? And at that moment, they've come, become possessed on the inside. So when I talked about the, the, the doctor and the pharmacy, it's, it's one thing to, 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 have a, to have a sickness, and we, we have them. But it's very important to get the medication on the inside of you. Especially when you, when you raise infants and toddlers and you start spoon feeding them, the first thing you do, you just strap them in a hatcher. You don't have a toddler menu. You say, what do you want? You don't do that. You just strap them in a high chair. At this daycare, that's what we do. We just wrap them in the high chair, duct tape and all. They're rowdy. And we don't have them a menu here. Pick something. We, we have it, and they, I don't know what it is. But we chop it up, and whether it be mashed potatoes or carrots, and, and you know what you do with baby? You just stick it in their mouth. And what's the first thing they do? They spit it out. So what do you do? You go, well, good. Starve to death. That's not what you do. You, you take a spoon and you rake it wherever it needs and you just shove it right back in her mouth. God is not only good to us, but he's good for us. And you can put all the mashed potatoes on their head you want to. And they can go home with carrots all over their clothes and shoes. But until it gets in, They'll die. You can sit here this morning and you can listen to me and you can hear the music and you can go through the pages 
And you can remember things that happened to you. and You can go all through this thing. But here's the deal that spiritually, without opening yourself up and allowing God to move in and dwell in your life, that, it's, that we are dead while we live. And you have no idea how many people today are sitting in churches that are going through the motions, but they're nothing, nothing more than a corpse, something that was, had life and meaning. But, but now that's all been taken away. And my, my, my admonition for you this morning is that God wants to move in you. Because if you're looking for a perfect church, don't go there. You'll run it. And you've heard me say, oh, I'm not going there. There's hypocrites. Oh, there's room for one more. Come on. God wanted to possess man. He wanted to move in. So here's the question about possession. Is it ownership or influence? That it wasn't enough for God just to dwell with Adam because by dwelling with Adam, did he keep Adam from sinning? Please say no. Thank you. <laughs> and because of Jesus participating with, with sinful mankind, did it keep men from sinning? And please say no. So God said to himself that it just being with them is really not the answer. And just walking and working and doing miracles among them and participating is not the answer. Then what's the answer? And he says, I know. I've got to get on the inside of them. I've got to get inside. And once I get inside, I'll begin the work of renovation and remodeling and restoration. Possession is about ownership and influence. So listen to me very carefully, especially for you that went to Assembly of God Church or Pentecostal Church or whatever, because I was raised in it. And, and I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced they didn't know what they was talking about. I'm still convinced of that. Can a born-again believer be possessed by an evil spirit? And the answer is, you shouldn't have said no. You should have never said no. No is the wrong answer. It's subject to two questions, ownership or influence. Because ownership, the answer is no. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 20. Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God lives in you, and you are not your own, but you've been what? Bought with a price. So once you become born again and you give your life to Christ, the enemy cannot own you as far as property. But now then we have to deal with that other one. Influence. Can a person be born again, saved and been born again by the Holy Spirit? You give your life to Christ, raised in church. Now then, can you still be influenced by a demon spirit? And the answer is, of course. So what we have something in a paper sack here. Doctor's orders. Some of you went to doctor's orders, maybe. I don't know. And there's something in this bottle. So you may say to yourself, I'm spirit-filled. I'm a preacher. I speak in tongues. 
And whatever is in this bottle, it will not bother me. So you just turn it up. And then we drag you around like a slug on the sidewalk. Because the contents of the bottle has dictated the circumstances to the consumer. Whatever is in the bottle will influence the consumer. So for you that are hiding behind fig leaves, I'm fixing to uncover you. Can you be born again of God and be influenced by an evil spirit? The answer is you cannot be purchased or owned by an evil spirit, but you can be influenced every day of your life by an evil spirit. Whether it be hate, gossip, pride, ego, jealousy, false humility, arrogancy, whatever it may be, you can be influenced because society is handing it out. The world is handing it out. So we're, and we say, well, it doesn't bother me. Well, sure it does. You weren't awful. You weren't always that hateful. You wasn't always that mean. You wasn't always that way. And what I'm trying to tell you is here that in possession, that God not only owns you, but when God moves in, he'll influence you. I told somebody, I said, listen, I, we went on a ship one time, I told you, and they set us with a bunch of people, oh, experienced people. They quite, wasn't quite as old as Danny experienced, but they're, you know, and, and they were, and there's 10 or 12 there. And, and you know me, I'm not going to close line and preach it. If you do something stupid, I'll tell you, you're, you're wrong. That's a wrong lifestyle. I'll tell you straight up if, if it's against the, God's word. But we were there about 10 or 12 people, that but 10 of us, you know, and they were all experienced. They had their glasses of wine and, you know, they had a great time. They knew one another, you know. And no, they were just, you know, they were just enjoying it. They wouldn't do anything stupid. Nobody was dancing on the table. Well, Gayla got up, but I said, you get down off that table, woman. <laughs> oh, they were, and we were just talking and visiting. Where are you from? In Texas. And we'd give them a hard time, blah, blah, blah. And they were, they were pouring wine and booze. And, you know, they were nobody slobbering drunk, had big diamonds, and very successful people. And, and uh, that guy said, uh, would you like to have a drink? I said, no, I'm good. You know, I said, we're good. And he looked at me and he said, uh, well, I'll buy you one. You know, I guess he thought I was poor. <laughs> I said, no, I'm good. And he said, oh, they give it away. They, they give it away. I said, we're, we're, we're really good. And he kind of looked at me funny. You know, these are very rich people. And I said, no, we're good, you know. And uh, I said, uh, I said, I quit a long time ago. And he kind of looked at me and he, and he said, he said, uh, really? I said, yeah. And he's, he said, uh, you been going to meetings? <laughs> and uh, I said, kind of. And I said, the truth of the matter is, it made me become me, it made me become somebody that I didn't need to become. It made me very angry. Very hostile. And uh, he said, well, good for you, buddy. He said, you just keep going to meetings. <laughs> and I said, I looked at him. I said, the truth of the matter is, you know, they're laughing. They're having a good time. And, 
And I said, the truth of the matter is that we are pastors of 33 years, and you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> and I'm, I remember looking across the table, some very well-experienced woman had a glass of wine almost up, and she liked the, her upper plate liked to went in that glass. I think it would have went in if the glass was bigger. And I said, you know what? My wife and I, we have a wonderful church. We, we cruise quite a bit, but don't do anything different on our part. We're just, we're just here to enjoy life, and that's it. We're not here to condemn anybody. And I will tell you, by that response, I could have got up like, boy, it was a, you know, turn or burn. Now, you know, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, and I didn't say drink up. You know, I didn't say, you know, we've been called, we're salt to the earth. We're light to a dark world. We're here to be straightness in a crooked place. We're here to influence people. And you know what? It's funny about this because <clears throat> when we started talking about this, then everybody sat there their glass down. And that guy said, we'll, we'll take water. Bring us a water. That's what he said. Bring it around the water for everybody, you know? And, and the old boy said, my uncle was a Baptist preacher. I said, really? He said, a small church. And she said, my, I think her grandfather was a Methodist preacher. I said, good for him. You'd be surprised what kind of connection you can find. If you'll just, if you'll just relay the goodness of God, wherever you go, I can't change you. I, I can't put policies up here to make you conform. We're not all wearing the same uniforms here. My desire is for you to do this. Let God move in. And once God begins to move in, he'll start throwing furniture out the back door and he'll start rearranging and he'll put his home sweet home sign upon the quarters of your heart. And little by little, you're going to find out when God begins to move in, that God will do great things into your life. Lastly, this morning, the tabernacle was referred to as God's dwelling place. And inside this tabernacle, it had two compartments. One was the most holies of holies and one was the holy place. But in the first part of it was called the holy place and, and it had three items. One was the showbread and one was the candlestick and one was the altar of incense. One represents the bread of God, the showbread, which is Christ. One represents the golden candlestick, which represents Christ, the light of the world. And the altar of incense represents the apothecary. It represents the aroma of God's anointing. Those three things were inside the holy place, but they were more than just a table of showbread. It was more than just a candlestick, and it was more than just the aroma of incense burning. They all represent Jesus who would come upon the earth. He was the light of the world. He was the bread of life, and he was a God's anointing that men could see. You may not be aware of this, but in the Old Testament, priests not only would put anointing oil upon them, but they would put in their beard and their hair because they could smell them before they could see them. A blind man that had no ability to see a priest, but he could smell him. Why? Because of these fivefold ingredients that was put in this anointing oil. And, and a priest could walk by and, and the blind man could say, you smell that? I don't see him, but he smells just like God. 
these three things that were inside of this tabernacle was to represent not just articles and artifacts for that set of time. It was a picture of the ministry of Christ to come. And here's what I'm going to end with this. What's this? So what does these three things have in common that differs from any other object inside or outside of the tabernacle? And the answer is this. All three of these had the ability to get inside you. Pay attention. You had an outer court. You had the court of judgment. It's all in copper, brass. You moved into the holy place. It was silver, redemption. And the holy place was gold. But in this compartment, you had three things. They would light the candles, the menorah, if you would, seven lights. You had a table of showbread there for the priest. Christ is the, is the bread of life. Christ is the light of the world. And then we have here the altar of incense. We have that altar, a censer. And it was the prayers, the petitions that Christ is our intercessor. He constantly prays for us. These three dreams were screaming about Jesus, but they didn't know it. But we know it now. I know it. But all three of these had one thing in common that nothing else in the furniture, the sockets, the, the stemware, nothing else had in common except these three, because all three of these had the capability of going inside you. The bread for nourishment, the aroma of the incense, and the light. Two cruises ago, I think, we went to Tulum, which is somewhere south of Wilson. We got off down there in a, in, in a cave. It, it was an excursion. And I have no idea why we did that. But anyway, we took the kids. Don't do that. If you're experienced, don't do that. You don't do that. Don't do that. And they take you underground. You're, I mean, you're, going, you're swimming some and you're wading some. And it's really spooky. You're a long ways down in there. And you got a guided tour, but I mean, you're, you got these stock ties and slag mice and, and you know, I've seen too many movies where you got stuff running the water, but we get off down in about an hour or so. We're way off down in there. And you got these little headlights going on and, and I'm constantly pinching, getting on the back of the leg just to hear a scream, you know, and I'll go, sure, cause you're gonna stop that, you know? And so we get to this place about, you know, we're near the end of it and, and, and we're in this pool of water about the size of this church. And it's just, it's just beautiful. But I don't know how far we are underground, but it's a long ways. It's dark, man, it's dark, it's dark. And the, and the guy says, okay, for about three or four, five minutes, he said, don't panic, just get still. And we're gonna turn the light out. And so he turns a little light out, we turn the light out. And I want you to know, brother, it's dark. It is, it is so dark that your eyes are wide open and you're looking for anything and it's dark. And I mean, it's spooky dark. And I didn't do anything to Gala, I, I was nice. Then after about three or four or five minutes, we turned the light back on and, and we wandered out of the cave. Light has a way of, of coming in. The eyes are only a window of the soul, but, but the light has a way of coming in into the body. 
And at that moment, I thought, this is what hell's like. You can forget about fire and brimstone because, I mean, you don't have to forget about that. But I understand, I understand a lot of things about hell. And it's really a, a trash dump outside the walls of, of Israel, if you didn't know that. It's a burnt place. It's a burning place. They had to do something with their garbage. And he said, it's a place where the fire is never quenched and the worm dieth not. It's a place where maggots are. They took all the trash there on the outside of the wall and, and they burned it constantly, day and night. They didn't have swords or, or disposals. But at that moment, I realized this is what hell is because the Bible said that if God is light and full of light, then hell must be the opposite. And my, my wife was within two inches of me and I had no idea where she was at. And I thought to myself, this is what hell is right here, to be in eternity where there's not even a hint of light. These three things all had one thing in common this morning in closing, that God ordained it in the Old Testament because he said it will apply to your life now, that the bread was designed to get in you. The aroma of God was designed to get in you. And the light of God was designed to get in you. And by doing so, now then, God is not just with me, and God is not working just with me. God is in me. And James calls him the father of lights. The father of lights, where we get a word for false, a light without beginning. And so here's the, the concept. The kingdom of heaven, Romans 14 says this, the kingdom of heaven is not stuff, he calls it meat or drink, but let's throw in some other things. It's not, the kingdom of heaven is not stuff. It's not yellow walls. It's not a black ceiling. It's not a big parking lot. It's not a Harley. I got one. It's not a Harley pickup. I got one. Yeah, uh, uh, busted golf clubs. I got several of those. It's not stuff. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And guess where those three things are? lives in me. Righteousness, Dr. Sune, right standing with God, right minded with God, right relationship with God, the peace of God, irony. It means the heart of God is connected with me and joy in the Holy Spirit. It means the character of God is etched upon my life. You've heard me say that the word joy and the word joy, it means etchment on a tombstone. It doesn't mean like I'm happy like a leprechaun. It doesn't mean that at all. You go to a cemetery for the first time and you see a tombstone. You don't know who's there, but on that tombstone is the word joy. It means to be etched in monument. On that tombstone, it's saying six foot below, here lies so-and-so. He was a wonderful, faithful husband and a loving father. The only thing you know about that person below the ground was what that tombstone says. And this is what joy means. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Some people have no idea what God's like. You are walking tombstones that God has etched upon our life. That God said, if you want to know what I'm like, then read the inscription upon the hearts of, of my people. I'm kind and I'm gracious and I'm long-suffering and I'm gentle and I'm good. I'm a jealous God. So that's our responsibility. These things that we are being possessed 
by God. So if you're here this morning and God's with you, yes. If you're here this morning and God is working with you, oh, I'm so thankful. But I can't hardly wait till you get possessed. Turn your head about around backwards and go, I'm possessed by God. Don't do that. Father, this morning that that we're like Ruth. We have a handful of purposes in our hand. We have a few seeds that we're going to plant and we're going to watch over it. We have a handful of purposes in our, in our present this morning and your kingdom is going to be established and it's going to grow and it's going to develop. And, but your design is to dwell not only with us, not only among us, but your design is that you would dwell within us. Would you simply do what you did over 2,000 years ago to your disciples that was confused and hurt and wounded? And they were hiding and they were scared and they were... They were in the dark concerning their future for their own safety or life. And they were tucked away in a room with locked doors. And you made your way into and beyond their locked doors and you breathed upon them. You got inside them. We are living, Father, right now that there's great concern everywhere we look. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's diseases. There's pestilence. We're surrounded with unknowns everywhere. The, the, the wrong action can, can trigger the wrong response. Father, we don't know whether we should go. We don't know whether we should stay. We don't know whether we should run. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. We don't. Right now, we live in a world and society. We don't know what to do. But I'm asking this morning that if you will just move in us, it'll be all right. Would you just breathe in us this morning for a few moments? Can we just inhale your presence this morning? Because if you'll just move into my life that's full of chaos and confusion, it'll be all right. Some of these people go home to a busted family. Some of these people go home that their boss wants to see them first thing in the morning. Some people's going to go... The doctor called and left a message. I need to see you first thing Monday morning. We are surrounded by a lot of bad things, but I'm asking you this morning, if you'll just move into us and possess us, not only in ownership, but influence our lives, it'll be all right. And Father, would you influence us right now that wherever we go this week they will know that it was a set of the disciples that we know one thing these men have been in the presence of God dwell in us now let us lay down the rhetoric and 
quit rattling the sabers of religious rhetoric and, and fictitious rumors and doctrines that separates the church. One thing that is important this morning that we belong to Jesus. And this morning, if you've never ever made a commitment to Christ, then this is your day right where you are, right where you are sitting, that you're not, ever, you're not here by accident, you're here by assignment, that God by the Holy Spirit has drawn you to this place and he's wanting to dwell within you. So Father, do that this morning. Breathe in us today. Stand with me if you would, please. Isn't God good? Man. Father, for all that you're doing, thank you. Let us be men and women that are possessed of you. Let them know there's something different about us. Let no man really see us. Let them just smell the aroma of God that's in us. Let us carry the nature of God, His kindness, and His gentle, and His good. He forbears a thousand generations. He will cover us with His feathers, and under His wing we shall trust. We will say that the Lord is our refuge and our fortress. A thousand shall fall at our right hand, and ten thousand at our right side. But it shall not come unto us. Because you are with us, you are for us, you are in us. Let us change the world because you have changed us. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. If you believe that this morning, give the Lord a praise offering today, huh? Turn about two people and give them a hug. Say, Listen, I'm a possessed person now. You better watch out. Communion servers, please make your way. For you that are new here, we, we celebrate Holy Communion every week. And you say, well, why? Because we've been commanded to. And you may say, well, my church, I don't care really what your church said. We've been commanded to. The Lord said it. Because here's the deal. This bread represents his body. This cup represents his blood, and it has the ability to get in us. Scripture says, let a man examine himself. And if any man takes his cup unworthily, it means in your own worth. Don't ever take communion in your own worth. Don't ever grade your own papers for this week, whether you should or should not take communion. Let a man take communion, not unworthily, in your own worth, because there's only one that's worthy, and that's Jesus Christ, God's Son. He is the only one that is worthy. Revelation says that who is worthy to open the books and loosen the seal, and, and everybody kept quiet. Only Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy. So 2,000 years ago or more, that the, we repeat, the institution of the Lord's Supper that dreadful night 
And Jesus said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this Passover. And the first one, they took the unleavened bread. John 6 says it like this, that Jesus said, your fathers did eat of the bread that fell from heaven, that they did hunger again. But he said, I am the bread of life. And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. And they took the bread. And he lifted up the cup, which was the third cup that night of redemption, the cup of redemption. And he said, according to the first Passover, it was the lamb's blood that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross over the doorpost. And when the Abaddon or death angel would see that blood upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross, that he would pass over. And he said, my father now will take my blood. I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And Jesus said, as long as you take this cup and you drink of this and eat of this bread, it will remind you of me. Father, we had the privilege this morning, not just going through the motions, but we had the privilege of taking these sacraments and getting them on the inside of us. There's nothing really about the bread and there's nothing really about the juice, but, but when your hand is upon it, something wonderful happens. Let this cup and let this bread this morning be healing for our soul and our mind and our, and our spirit. Let it get in us that we remember you in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen.